Ezekiel chapter 35. It is just 15 verses. And I was thinking that we were going to dip into part of 36 because the first part of 36 actually ties in with this. But we have our hands full with just chapter 35. So we're just going to stay with that one. If you're up on Facebook, I gave you this little announcement for it. Is ancient hate still around today? And can it possibly be at home in the lives of believers? God says that Mount Seir, which is Edom, would be judged and made desolate. And there are several prophecies against Edom and the Word of God and the reasons that are given. But here in Ezekiel chapter 35, there are two that are cited. The first is ancient hatred in verse 5. The second is in verse 10. And it may not jump out at you, but we're going to go over it and look at it. Once we, once you see it, if you haven't seen it already, uh, it'll jump out at you pretty, pretty clear. Last week we were looking at shepherds and sheep. We told you that the shepherds in the Word of God were the rulers. That he had a word against the priest. He had a word against the prophets. And that was the watchman in the chapter before that. And the shepherds are most definitely the rulers. And this was something I forgot to point out to you last time. The example given is Jesus, Messiah, as coming as king, as a ruler. So he's re- represented to be the good shepherd, but he is a ruler. He is the king. And that's why the, the shepherds, that was a real good reason why the shepherds are the rulers and why we apply that more to the rulers of the land than we do what would seem to be a natural application in the pastors. But pastors still need to be where to because there's still a little bit of rulership there. So, let's get on here with Ezekiel chapter 35 and verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, no date is given on this one. It seems to be right around the same time frame as the one before. But that is a bit of a guess on our part. It does seem that Ezekiel had all these prophecies and then compiled them. And we surely saw that with Egypt because some of those ones with Egypt, there were years in between them. And he uh, put them all together. He said, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. I shall lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Now this is a pretty simple prophecy against them, but it is one of complete destruction. They will be desolate. Not only will they not inhabit the land, not only will there be uh, death and, and massacre of the, the people, but also no one will be, uh, the, the, the land will be uninhabited. Now there was a short word that was given in chapter 25 verses 12 through 14, which we did already cover, but this one is a, a little bit more involved in telling us about this. I wrote down a couple of references for you. That's in the outline. If you see the post that went on before this that it was announcing tonight, there was a picture, which I usually try and put up, of the outline. And if you were kind enough to provide me an email address, then we email it out to you before the service each night. If you don't get that and would like it, just make sure I get your email address. We'll get you on that list. But here it says uh, Esau's descendants were known first off as cruel. And this is found in Amos chapter 1, 11, and 12. I do believe we covered those verses when we were back in chapter 25. Vengeful in Ezekiel 25, 12 through 14, which we already mentioned. Warring in Genesis 27 and verse 40. Idolatrous in Second Chronicles 25, 14 and 20. And proud in Isaiah 49, 16 through 17. Those are five things that they were known as in the, in the Word of God. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verses 10 through 12, you may be very familiar with that particular chapter. In fact, of all the chapters in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 20 is one that usually jumps out of people. Oh, I know what that is. That, of course, is Jehoshaphat's victory where he put the praisers in front of the warriors. Well, that victory was over the nation of Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And they had a great multitude, and Jehoshaphat said, hey, we have no power against this great multitude. And uh, God told them how to go into the battle. They went into the battle that way. And they came out with a great victory. It, um, I'll read part of it to you in t- chapter 20, verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. 
but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. So that apparently was their desire to come and to take the land from Israel. Uh, verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now God promised that Edom would one day be desolate. In Isaiah 34, 5 through 17, and Jeremiah 49, 7 through 22, as well as here in Ezekiel. Uh, Obadiah also prophesied that. The entire book of Obadiah is dedicated to Edom or Mount Seir. It uses both terms to uh, <clears throat> refer to the land of Edom. The reasons given there were because of their constant thirst for revenge against Israel. And that's where we're going to get to see here today. Now, the Edomites first established the kingdom called Edom in the southern area of modern-day Jordan and uh, later migrated into the southern parts of the kingdom of Judah. We talked about this as being Edomia, and we had a little map we showed you. That was the southern region of, of the nation of Judah that they had taken care of. It is a modern-day southern Israel or the Negev, if you've ever heard that in the news. When Judah was first weakened by the Babylonians, and, of course, they were later destroyed in the 6th century. Uh, Mount Seir and Edom, they uh, decided to move on in to the territory of Israel. Now, the history books tell us that Edom did okay for about 100 years after this prophecy was made. They didn't, uh, they didn't become desolate right away. But during the 5th century, that's in the 400s, 400 to 499, uh, the, they were overwhelmed by Arab groups. In turn, these groups were taken over by the, and I have to read this one for you, Nabataeans, who started living in the area sometime around 312 B.C. That seemed pretty precise for being around. <laughs> but that's what it said. It said 312 B.C. And these are the people, the, Nabat, the Nabataeans. It was not the Edomites. They're the people who cut the temples in the city of Petra out of the sandstone. Have you ever seen those uh, old temples that were carved into the, the cliff sides? Uh, that was not done by the Edomites. That was done by the people who came in after them. The city of Petra flourished under these, these folks until about 106 A.D. So from about 312 B.C. to about 106 A.D., uh, they, they came in here and this, this uh, area did, uh, did flourish, did do pretty well. Then the Romans conquered Petra. And from that time, it slid into disuse to the point that Edom was almost uninhabited completely from the 7th century until the 12th century. That's A.D., not, uh, not B.C. It revived slightly in the 12th century when the Crusaders built a castle there called Cell. If you ever heard of that being referred to in some of the Crusades, Cell, this is where they had built it. Afterward, it remained so forgotten that it had to be rediscovered in 1812 by the Swiss traveler uh, Johann L. Burkhart. Can you imagine having to rediscover the land of Edom? Now, George Smith has uh, some accounts. He described what Petra was like in his day. This is 1865. Now, compare these descriptions to the desolation that the, the Word of God predicts, which was written, I believe, about 2,400 years earlier. I'm going to read this for you. Captain Mangles, who visited these ruins, says that when surveying the scenery of Petra, the screaming of the eagles, hawks, and owls who were soaring over our heads its considerable, in considerable numbers seemingly annoyed at anyone approaching their lonely habitation added much to the singularity of the scene. Still reading from his, his account. So plentiful, as observed by Mr. Corey, are the scorpions in Petra that though it was cold and snowy, we found them under the stones, sometimes two under one stone. The sheik and his brother who accompanied Mr. Corey assured him that both lions and leopards are often seen in Petra and on the hills immediately beyond it, but that they never descend into the plain beneath. Now reading from Psalms 137, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Verse 7. This one is the particular one I wanted to read. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you served us. Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. In verse 5 of Ezekiel 35, let me read this to you. Because you have had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end. Now you'll notice a number of different ways that this is translated. The New King James puts ancient hatred. Some translations say perpetual hatred. Um, and I think there's a few other ways that they, they phrase this, but you get kind of the idea. From what I read on this, I like the ancient hatred about the best because it seems to indicate that this went back to some event and that had just uh, concurred on. Now, in our minds, reading the Bible, our event would be this strife that happened between Jacob and Esau for which Esau was going to, to kill him. We know that they eventually made made up from that and they did pretty well, but it seems that the descendants that one after that, picked up that battle. They picked up that, that animosity between Esau and Jacob. And the people of, of uh, the descendants of Esau saw what they lost in the land of Israel and still considered that to be their own. They saw the blessing that came upon Jacob instead of Esau. And they still considered that blessing to be their own. They considered it stolen. And so that just mushroomed into all sorts of stuff. So there's animosity between Edom, Edom and Israel all their days. Now, Edom became a nation before Israel did. And Israel was walking through the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, and asked to pass through the land of Edom. And they refused them. They would not let them. And so they went another way that was much longer than going through the land of Edom. But that's how much animosity was there. Here the Word of God calls it an ancient hatred. Now, when you're looking at an ancient hatred, you're looking at the younger generation being taught by the older one before. They were not around when this struck up between Jacob and Esau. They did not hear the accounts. They did not see the videotape or any such thing as as that. Uh, They didn't even see when they made up. It may not even have known it. It may not even been, that part may not have been passed on. All they know is what people have told them about what occurred. And so that younger generation would hear it from the older generation and then when they became the older generation, they would pass it on to their younger generation. And when that younger generation grew old, they would pass it on to the next generation. So it becomes an ancient hatred and that it's passed on from generation to generation and doesn't ever stop. They keep hating each other. Now these things are seldom based on actual facts. They're, it's based more on how the events are passed on. The facts don't matter anymore. All that matters is, well, my granddad told me it happened this way. Or uh, my grandmother said it was going on like, like this. You know, we had some, some things like that. I believe it was in this country. One of the greatest feuds we know about, that I know about, is the uh, Hatfields and the McCoys. And uh, it went on for over 100 years, I think it was. And they were, they were killing. I don't know how many died on, on either side. But um, a number of Hatfields died and a number of McCoys died. And whenever a Hatfield was killed by a McCoy, then a Hatfield would strike up and go after a, a McCoy and, and kill them. And I, I just remember a few things about it that uh, people were asked, well, what's the feud over? And no one could remember what it was over, but they were still just as mad, even though they didn't know exactly what it was that they were mad at or what started the whole thing. But the Hatfields knew they couldn't stand the McCoys and the McCoys knew they couldn't stand the Hatfields. And that's just how that uh, continued going. But that's a, the same type of an ancient hatred. That one just lasted for a hundred or so years. Uh, this one lasted a lot longer than that. And it uh, just kept on going on. Again, it's seldom based on actual facts, but how those events are passed down. As such, the facts cannot be contested. And with no opposition, they become deeply rooted, stirring up feelings of anger, rage, and bitterness in an instant. So if you have somebody from Edom, when they run across somebody from Israel... All they have to know is that you're from Israel 
And instantly, they were angry. They were mad because of all this ancient hatred that had gone on. Same way that the Hatfields and McCoys, as soon as they found out you're a McCoy, they were mad at you. They didn't know you before today, but now that they, they know you, they know you're a McCoy, they're mad at you because of that, that ancient hatred that comes in. Immediately, it stirs up feelings of anger, rage, bitterness, and this all becomes very deeply rooted, which, of course, you can't contest. If, you, if somebody went up there and tried to, to tell one of the McCoys, you know, this, this really didn't uh, start off with anything real, real uh, strong, real substantial. No, it sure did. <laughs> no, it's, it's certainly justified. My father told me, and my, my father, the father before him, and, you know, that just keeps on, on going. You can't contest it with them. They are caught up by these feelings. And when we're caught up by these feelings, we can be propelled to do things normally we wouldn't do. Just like, you know, a Hatfield may not normally go out and shoot somebody. But once they find out they're a McCoy, they're ready to grab the rifle and go shoot somebody. And the same thing here with a, with an, uh, somebody from the land of Edom. Maybe they didn't go around shooting people, but if they found out that somebody from Israel was nearby, they may get stirred up to, to do that. Because when you have this ancient hatred and it just keeps lasting generation after generation, it does things to people and it did things to them. And God cited this as one of the reasons for the judgment coming. So again, verse 5, Because you have had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end. What he's referring to there is when the Babylonians came and they conquered Jerusalem. When they had done that, uh, these folks were on the side of them being conquered and it, it appears even helped. It seems that the people from Edom came over and helped the Babylonians in the conquest, in the siege of Jerusalem. And so when it was over, the Babylonians gave Edom a green light to go into the southern area and take over some of the land. And that's how Edomia was, was formed and how they had gone into there. But of course, they had been eyeing up the children of Israel's land for a long time. And we're going to see some of their thoughts on that here. So they encouraged Israel's enemies to execute them after the defeat had come. So after the defeat was done, they were right there on the scene and they would tell the Babylonians, just kill them. You know they're going to go, they're going to rebel again. You know they're going to cause you trouble again, just like they did before. They're going to do it again. You need to just wipe them out. You need to just take them, take them out. And this is what the Bible is saying. Hey, you guys were so caught up with this ancient hatred that you shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity. God had brought judgment down upon Jerusalem and you guys were wanting to see that judgment go even stronger than what it was and rejoiced in it. Verse 6, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare uh, prepare you for blood and blood shall pursue you since you have not hated blood before blood shall pursue you. So because they were not against the bloodshed of people, at least certain people, uh, God says, well, that blood's going to follow after you. You didn't despise it. Now sometimes, you know, you may, you, we can get cold to it. I watch some of the movies that people go out there and, and see and just people being slaughtered and die. I can't go out and watch them. I just, uh, I don't like to see all that kind of, that kind of stuff. Sometimes my wife and I, we've, we, uh, we tune into a program, some of those crime programs, and uh, there's a couple and they just got so violent. It's like, and just, yeah, dark is a good word. They were so dark. It's just, uh, no, I can't watch that. That's just, no, we, we watched it at one time or, or, nah, I just don't like it. I don't, I don't need all that darkness, uh, all that uh, people just slaughtering for. I just, it may go on, but I don't need to sit there and watch it. But these guys, they were glad for it. They, you show it again. <laughs> Rewind it. This is how they were. And God says, because you didn't despise the shedding of blood, that shedding of blood is going to pursue you. Verse seven, thus I will make Mount Seir most desolate and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you perpetually desolate and your cities shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So again, we're talking about desolation and being uninhabited. But here's the first thing that he cited as a reason. Because of this ancient hatred. Because you have allowed and fostered this type of hatred 
generation after generation after generation after generation. And you just didn't let it stop. And it kept building. So much so that the people who were around for the fall of Jerusalem were even, or either just as much or even more irate at the Israelites than Esau was at Jacob. They had just built and it got to the point that he just, they just wanted to see a slaughter. Just like Esau at the beginning, he wanted to see Jacob dead. And he wanted to be the one who did it. But eventually, he was able to be dealt with on that. And we see, you know, they, they came together and um, had a great reunion. But just, he was involved in the original facts. And God could deal with them. Hey, you remember what you did? Remember? And, and God was able to bring them into remembrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at fault too. And so they were able to get to that place. But the generations that came after that, all they knew was what they were told. And they never questioned it. And this hate continued to pass on from generation. Verse 10. Because you have said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. So the Lord was there. They don't see him there as, as, as there now. And because of that, they see this land as an open possession. Anyone can go in there and take it. Because you have said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. What two nations? Israel and Judah. We're, we're going to have that land. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take possession of that. And what you're seeing here is that we're speaking future things that are not as though they were, which is the New Testament teaching, but it's also something that was very much in the Old Testament. God said future things to Abraham and got him to speak future things. Remember his first name? was Abram. And God says, this isn't working. <laughs> we need to get him to be, be speaking differently. Because out of his mouth kept coming, I don't have any kids. I'm not going to have any kids. The heir of my house is going to be somebody who's not born to my house. And this isn't good. I don't like this. And so God said, look, Abram, we're going to change your name. Your name is going to be Abraham. You are now going to go around and say, what's your name? Father of many. You're going to speak those things that are future that are not yet. But you're going to speak them as they were so. God did this, of course, in the book of Genesis. When there was darkness on the face of the earth, He said, let there be light. And then there was light. He said, let the uh, land be separate from the waters. And the land was separate from the waters. But He spoke it first. Jesus would speak for and call for healing uh, for the miracles before it happened. He would tell the lame man, rise up and walk when he's laying down on the, on the bed. He would call the blind man seen before the blind man saw. He would call the lepers cleansed before they were clean. He would do this ahead of time. And then he taught his disciples in Mark eleven twenty two. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says in this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. He will have future tense, whatever he says. Present tense. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So this is taught in the New Testament, but very much practiced in the Old Testament of saying those things that God has promised. See, you can't just have faith for anything. You've got to have faith for things that God has promised. You run have the God kind of faith. God has had to have given His word on it. You can't just say, well, I want to do this or I want to have this or whatever it might be. That's your own faith in your own words or your own thoughts. But if God has declared something, I can have faith in that and I can declare it. Abraham had God's word. You shall be a father of many nations. That was God's desire for him. And he could speak those things out and say them. This is what they're doing. They are speaking out future things as if they're present. Because you have said, past tense, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. They're looking at it saying, we're going to have them. We're going to own them. This is before Israel was judged. This is before Judah was judged. They looked at that land and they kept saying, that land shall be ours. It was fed by the ancient hate that they had. Not by faith in God's word. It was fed by the ancient hate. That ancient hate motivated them to say, we are going to take their land. And see, hate can motivate us to do some things that, are, that look like faith just as much as, as faith can. But that's what they were doing. These two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them. Although the Lord was there. 
So Edom is trying to use this spiritual principle against the people of God. Now there is a benefit, there is benefit in the people of God using these principles as God intended. We all know that there's a benefit for it. If I take the spiritual principles that God has put in operation and I use them in my life, there's benefit for me in those things. But there is even benefit in people of the world using them to be increased. Sowing and reaping works for the saved and the unsaved, doesn't it? If an unsaved farmer goes out and sows seed, doesn't it produce? If a saved farmer goes out and sows seed, doesn't it produce? If a, if a Christian is generous with their money, doesn't it produce? If an unsaved person is generous with their money, doesn't it produce? Yeah, it does. So sowing and reaping, it's a spiritual principle. It works for the saved. It works for the unsaved. Speaking to things that be not. It can work for the, the saved and the unsaved. There's forgiveness. The, uh, the principle that God puts there with forgiveness. If I operate in forgiveness, then forgiveness will find me. That's a spiritual principle. It works for Christians. But doesn't it also work for unbelievers? If they operate in forgiveness, isn't an unbeliever more apt to receive forgiveness from other people? If they operate in bitterness and anger and don't forgive, isn't the forgiveness from other people going to be held up from them? How about mercy? The Word of God tells us that if we extend mercy, God extends mercy to us. But doesn't it also work for the world that if they extend mercy to people, then mercy comes and finds them as well? It's a spiritual principle. It will work for the saved and the unsaved. The thing is, for the saved, it has an eternal reward. For the unsaved, it only has a temporal one. That's a big difference. How about thinking on good things? Does that have a spiritual benefit for Christians? It does. But doesn't it also have a spiritual benefit for the unsaved? If they think on bad things, does that not have a negative effect on them? And if they switch their thinking into good things, it can have a positive effect in their life. When they go around, they teach uh, people the you know um, um, positive outlooks. And people write these, these books and all these things and how to be successful and uh, changing your mental outlook. It works for people whether they're born again or not. Because it's a spiritual principle. Now, when people on the, of the world try and use these principles, this principle or any principle, that's a spiritual principle, a principle that God put in operation against the people of God, they will bring judgment upon themselves. So if they use this principle to benefit their own life, if they use the principle of mercy, the principle of forgiveness, if they use the principle of speaking those things that be not, if they use them to benefit their life, they're fine. They will get a benefit in this life. They just won't get a benefit in the next life. But if they begin to use that principle against the people of God, they will bring judgment upon themselves. And that's what they're, they're faced with here. Now, if the spiritual principles are still a little blind to you, just remember, God put the same kind of rules in operation, not just spiritual principles, but gravity is a rule that God put in operation. And that works on the saved and the unsaved. And uh, you can look at a whole lot of things Beside that, when rain falls, that's a principle that God put in operation. And it falls on the saved, and it falls on the unsaved. Word of God even talks about that. So I think I put this in your outline for you, at least it's in mine. What principles God has established cannot be used against His people, or there will be some consequences. There will be consequences if people use the principles of God against His people. He's, he's alright with it. If you want to go and use that principle and benefit your life, not get eternal benefit, but get benefits here. And go ahead. But if you take that principle and use it against his people, he's not going to be too happy with that. A great example of this, of course, is Balaam. Balaam in the Old, in the Old Testament took some of the spiritual principles and went up on a mountain and did try to use them against the people of Israel. But he wasn't able to. He wasn't able to secure the, the money that he was trying to do. And so after they came down from the mountain, he counseled them and said, look, I couldn't do what you wanted me to, but here, if you do this, You'll bring the nation of Israel into judgment. And the counsel that Balaam gave, of course, was uh, talked about in other places in the Word of God. Let's go on here to verse 11. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge them. I will do according to your anger. So that ancient hatred that they had that stirred up this anger, God says, 
I'm going to do what that anger motivated you to do, that's what's going to be done against you guys. So we got to be careful what we let our anger stir us up to do. He said, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. So in this hatred, they envied their land. They said, we're going to have their land. We're going to take their land. And God says, well, that's just opening the door for me to have other people come in and take your land. Except I'm going to restore Israel to their land. I'm not going to restore you to yours. There's a big difference. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying they are desolate and they are given to us to consume. Now what they're saying here is, uh, I'm not exactly sure if they're attributing to this to God, to one of their deities, to fate, to uh, whatever it might be, but they're saying, ah, we've been saying this for a long time, we're going to have their land, and now their land is desolate. Now, let's go. It's for us. It was made for us. We're the ones that have been going around saying it's going to be ours. It's going to be ours. It's going to be ours. And now it is. Let's go over and take it. And that worked for them for uh, about a hundred years. They went in there and they, they took part of the land and they dwelled in it. But it came, it, it came against them. People in any situation, they can see God or whatever sending good or bad things their way. It's just something that people do. Whatever situation they're in, if they have something good that comes to them, even if they're not following after God, even if they're not doing things that God has commanded them to do, they'll still say, well, God's hand must have been on this. I bet you have uh, shaken your head at some of the people that are around you. And you know they're just living like the devil. I mean, just doing every foul thing that they could do. And then something good happens and they say, look at that, God has shined out on me. And you're thinking, dear Lord, that was not God. God cannot bless your life for the things that you're doing. And they may look at some bad things that are coming their way and say, well, God is just against me. And you're thinking, God doesn't need to be against you. You're against yourself. Look at these things that you're doing. Verse 13. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Well, people may say, may think that, well, God, I'm getting away with this. God hasn't done anything so far. I guess we can just keep on going. And God says, uh-uh. No, we're, we're keeping tabs of these things. And these things you have spoken, they're coming back on you. Thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. And as you rejoice because of the inherit, because of the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Malseer, as well as all of Edom. All of it. They, then they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, when I read over this, I asked this question. In the, in the prophecies of Ezekiel so far, we saw that a few times people were rejoicing because of Israel's calamity. They were glad because when they, they saw, I believe we saw that in the nation of Tyre. We saw it here with the nation of Edom. And I think there was at least one other nation who rejoiced in the calamity of Israel. And it was cited as one of the reasons why judgment was going to come upon them. So my question was, all right, if these other nations were judged because they were glad that Israel fell, are these nations that are glad that Edom falls, are they going to be judged? Is judgment going to come upon them for it? So I pondered that for a little bit. My thought is no. Because the people of Israel were the children of God. Edom was not. And God's going to come and He's going to take vengeance on His people. But Edom, they didn't serve God. If other people want to be glad that Edom went away, let them be glad. It seems that there's no judgment coming for, for that as there was on those nations that were glad that Israel came upon that judgment. As you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So desolation was, was coming to them. This was something that was going to happen. God said it's... It, when God says it, it doesn't mean it happens tomorrow. But it means it's coming. And so, um, as we told you, they had about a hundred years and they fell. Now, we take a look at this, this topic here, ancient hate. I asked this question, ancient hate in today's world, where is it? How do, we, how do we see this going on? 
And surely, you know, the, the Hatfields and McCoys are a great place for us to see ancient hate. But there's other places for it to come out as, as well. And uh, we see it in, certainly in things that are racist that go on. We'll see ancient hate in that. Uh, the racism that comes up, it stems way, way back. And we go way back to some old things that had, that had happened. But it isn't just even in the, in the racism. Ra- racism. Sometimes the poor, regardless of what race they are, they have an ancient hatred against the rich. And just because they're rich, as soon as they find out somebody's rich, oh, and just anger, just despising comes up on the inside of them. This is an ancient hatred. It's something they were taught. People before them said, people that are rich, they're stealing from you. They're taking stuff from you. It's because they're rich, that's why you're poor. And they say all these different things about the rich. And so they have this feeling about the rich and the richer are are always bad. Uh, Sometimes we see this even in political parties. Uh, sometimes people can get so caught up in ancient hatred that if you're of their political affiliation, they'll love you. And if you're not, they'll hate you. They don't even know you. But Im- immediately that hate comes out. And that's an ancient hatred. That's what the Word of God is talking about with this. Then you can't be talked out of it because it's been passed on from generation to generation to generation. There's no way to check out the facts. There's no way to, to uh, establish any truth other than the truth that those people have. That's a, certainly another place where it can, that it can come out. We can be in a job and we may have, a, maybe we've been a, a blue-collar worker and we hate all people that are white-collar workers. Or maybe you're a white-collar worker and you've learned to hate all people that are blue-collar workers. Maybe it's just because they hate you. Whatever it might be. But there's a, a despising that goes on and a hatred that happens. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. But I know that you're in a group that I have an ancient hatred for. Now, I wrote seven things down. If you have room on your outline or another piece of paper, you can write these down. didn't have room to put them in your outline for you. And this is not an all-inclusive list. This is just seven things I came up with to help us identify when there is an ancient hatred brewing in us. It may... I'll use... Uh, what's the comedian's name? You, you, you might be a redneck. <laughs> you, you might have ancient hate of you in you if you have one of these one or more of these things going on first off I don't know the offending persons if you have a hatred about something but you don't know the original people who got offended or who did the wrong thing that may be an ancient hatred other people were offended and passed it on well, were you personally offended? No, but I'm mad at this, this situation. Other people were offended and they passed it on. If you have a hatred, if you have an offense on the inside of you and it wasn't done to you, but done to other people and they passed it on to you, you might be being affected by an ancient hatred. You need to probably get that out of your, get it out of your life. Other people were offended and passed it on. When Jesus was teaching about being offended, he said, if your brother sins against you, he shouldn't need to teach anybody about when uh, becoming offended because your brother did something to somebody else. Didn't even do it to you and you get offended on it. Don't be doing it. Here's a third one. I cannot make interviews to get the facts. I've told you some of these situations that the news tries to put up and, and get people all stirred up about. And, uh, you know, if it goes down, I think one of those situations was down in Florida. Another one was down in one of the Carolinas, I think it was. And uh, they, they tell you the facts as they have. But I can't interview anybody. I can't go down there and check out the facts. So I just let it go. I don't even think about it. Uh, the people who can interview, the people who can do it, that's up to them to do. Well, they may not do a good job. Fine. I can't do a good job here. I can't interview anybody. If I cannot make interviews to get the facts, I just let it go. Because I'm not going to pick up an ancient hatred. A hatred that will just be passed on and passed on and passed on. And it may not be that ancient for a certain thing that went on, but what it is, it's an ancient hatred and that this type of hatred has gone on and on and on. Here's a situation where they can put it off on you. And you can pick it up. You know, you have the Hatfields and the McCoys. What happens if uh, some, some lady outside of the Hatfield and the McCoys marries a McCoy? She probably picks up all the hatred for the Hatfields that uh, her husband has. Uh, even though she wasn't born into the family. Even though she wasn't involved in any of the things. Now all of a sudden she's married to a, a McCoy and she hates Hatfields. Or somebody 
married into the Hatfields, they automatically hate the McCoys. That, uh, that doesn't go on. Didn't they make a movie about, about that? Two people who uh, had a feuding... Fi- I forget what it was called. I think it was some kind of Broadway musical or something like that. Um, well, not Romeo and Juliet is certainly another one. But there was another one that was uh, more modern. But <laughs> Greece, <laughs> I, I, I can't attest to that one. But, um, oh, I'll tell you what, I can, I can even see some of the people doing some of the... I saw, I guess, a movie with it. Anyway, you, you can see these kind of things where they... Uh, two people, they're from the, the, the feuding families, but they haven't picked up the ancient hatred, and they developed a love for each other. And we got a lot of movies that are out about that type of a situation. And uh, because of their love for each other, they're refusing the ancient hatred. They're refusing... I'm not going to hate all Hatfields. I'm not going to hate all McCoys because I have this, this love that goes on. But of course, you know, the people that are around them, they'll pressure them and they'll, once they find out, they want to try and uh, get rid of all this, this stuff that's going on. West Side Story, that's the one I was thinking of. There we go. <laughs> that's the one. I don't know the story real well. I know the little bits and pieces of it, but it sure seemed to be like that was, that was coming in there. Um, number four, I'm not open to the details being changed from how I understand them. If you have something that goes on in your life and somebody comes along and tries to say, well, it didn't quite happen that way and you are immediately against it and you cannot interview the people that are involved, you were not one of the original offending persons, but you will not let any of the facts that you understand be altered or changed. You have accepted an ancient hatred. You have just brought it right in your life. It may not have been in your life all the time, but if that goes on, that is a sign. I'm not open to details being changed from how I understand them. You see, it's simply, simply, oh, I see uh, Miss Ethel. She had West Side Story too. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yeah, that's the, that's the stuff that goes on. But this ancient hatred, what it tries to do, just like anything the devil tries to do, he tries to get something in you to block you from the truth. And so I don't want to hear anything that will steer me away from what I understand the truth to be. Whereas if you love the truth, and you've got an understanding on the inside of you that might be wrong. Oh, tell me. Tell me. Come on. I, I, I might be wrong on this thing. You help me out in this. Maybe it'll clear it up and I can, I can get past this thing over here. Because that's a, that's a godly attitude. But when we have this thing, nope, nope, no, I can't hear that. I'm not open to details being changed from how I understand them. Here's the fifth one. Any mention of the situation changes my disposition to some level of anger. As soon as I hear about that situation, just like I have feel, as soon as I heard the name McCoy, what happened to him? Ugh, where are they? Some level of anger. I mean, certain ones might, might hit a level of 10. Someone might only hit a level of 7. But some kind of anger stirred up in them as soon as they heard these things. Any mention of the situation, it changes my disposition. If that happens, then you may have brought in an ancient anger into your life. Number six. Demands are made of people who didn't have a part in the original sin. You'll see this in this particular story with with Edom. Edom felt they deserved to have the land of Judah and the land of Israel. So much so they began to declare it. We're going to have this. This is going to be ours. We are going to inhabit those lands. They said it for uh, uh, apparently centuries. Just kept speaking this thing out. Keep saying this. God says you kept saying this over and over again. They were making demands of people who didn't have a part in the original sin. Their ancient anger is based on what happened between Jacob and Esau. And those two restored fellowship with each other. But the descendants eventually stirred it back up again. And these people were projecting something on the nation of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel. You need to give up your land. And even if they did that, they'd still be mad at them. Demands are made of people who didn't have a part in the original sin. None of those people even knew Esau. None of those people did a thing against Esau. But they're mad at them just like they did. And they're going to make demands of, of them. Whenever you see that, demands are made by, for, for people who didn't even commit the crime to pay. Demands are made of people who didn't have part in the original sin. Here's the last one. Restitution is never possible. It is an ancient hate if restitution is never possible. 
no matter what is done. If Israel said, you know, guys, we are sorry for all the things that are going on. Here, we are going to abandon the entire land and we're going to go to this place over here that you guys don't want. And if they were to go over there, don't you know they would have followed them? They would have taken over the land. And then it says, not enough. You all need to die. <laughs> and Restitution is never possible. That's why these things continue to go on and on and on and on and on because restitution is never possible. And that is just like the devil. Every single one of these things is something that's just like the devil. The devil does not like restitution. He does not like things to get settled. He doesn't like it when people get unoffended. He wants them to walk in offense all the time. And he keeps trying to stir up things and play the videotape. The enemy loves to pull people into this kind of hate. You see, outside of God's love, there's no way out. This kind of hate captures people. And you see with the land of Edom, it captured them for hundreds of years, probably thousands of years, that they were caught up in this in this type of hatred. Just so angry. And never could get over it. As soon as you mentioned Israel to them, they were mad. Now, I don't know if Israel was caught up in the same ancient hatred. It didn't seem to be because when Moses comes to them, they, uh, they're very humble and just very uh, simply make a request. Hey, can we come through? We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We're just going to stay right on the path and we're going to go. And they were very humble about it. And uh, Esau was uh, the land of Esau. Edom was not. So it didn't seem like the ancient anger was in Israel the way that it was in them, Edom. And the Edom is the one that God is holding accountable. So the enemy loves to pull you into this kind of hate because there's no way out outside of God's love. God's love will break it. You let the love of God come in on you and it'll break that. You'll get free of it. The path of this ancient hatred leads to pride, hard-heartedness, bondage, and servanthood to the hate and the author of it. You will become a servant to the hate and the one who authored it, which of course is Satan. This is a pathway for him to put you into bondage and to get you to serve him while you still think you're serving God. Judgment will be its end game. When you follow along this path, judgment will be the end game. Don't go into it. This is what happened with Edom. Judgment eventually came. If you try and walk away from this anger, if you try and say, I'm not going to go after this, those who gave it to you, those who passed it on to you, will be mad. They will get angered. And certainly you saw that in just the stories that were written with Romeo and Juliet, West Side Story, and whatever other ones that are, that are out there. Uh, just when, when they find out two people are trying to walk away from this anger and follow in a path of love, oh, they get mad. And they get angry. And they want to kill them. They want to take a member of their family and kill them. That's how, how much this stuff can blind you. Those, are, those may have been movies and plays, but we know that it plays out in real life all too often. That even the love of a parent for a, for a child can be short-circuited because they don't accept the ancient hate. No, we hate those people. We don't like Israelites. We don't like uh, people with white collars in the, in the workplace. We, whatever it might be. We don't like rich people. But God has a better way. That's the way we need to, need to follow. Of course, uh, New Testament, it tells us God has a better way. That way is in 1 Corinthians 13, the way of love. Ancient hate cannot walk in the path of 1 Corinthians 13. Everything about that chapter will drive it crazy. What do you mean believe the best? We can't do that. And all the things that Paul lists in there for us to do as we walk in the things of God. Totally against that ancient hate. But if we allow this world to put ancient hate on us, if we allow the things that the world thinks about other groups, if we allow that onto us, it will, it will affect us. It'll take us down a path of judgment. It'll take us down a path of being hard-hearted. It'll lead us into pride. It'll put us into a place where God will resist us. And we still think that God is on our side and working for us. But God says, I can't be on that side because God is not on the side of hate, ancient hate, or any other kind. This nation 
Edom was judged by God for it. They were removed. All traces of them were gone. The land was desolate for hundreds of years. I'm not sure how inhabited it is now. I know Petra is a big uh, tourist spot. People go in to see the, the carved out temples. But again, those were not something that the Edomites made. That was somebody who took over the land after them that they had made. But Edom is no longer inhabiting that land, whether the descendants or other places, uh, when they got dispersed. Uh, I don't know. I couldn't find out too much on, on all that. But I know that the, the land that was once Edom and the land that was once Edomia is no longer inhabited by these folks. We have to stand guard against this kind of hate because it's a different kind of hate. It's not just a hate where somebody has done something to us and we're upset at it. And it can be fixed because that person can come to us, we can go to them, and we can straighten it out. This is a hate that I cannot find the offended persons. I can't interview anyone and get the actual details of what happened. All I have is what people told me. Much like the news media, they'll tell you a story the way they want you to hear it and expect you to have a response. I've told you often enough, if I hear a news story and I see them leading me to go a certain way, I immediately go in the other direction. I don't even have to hear any facts to take me that way. I just immediately go another direction. Well, if you want me to think this person is bad, I'm going to think they're good. If you want me to think this person is good, I'm going to be suspicious of them. I'm going to find out some things about it. I just go the opposite way of the media. But, you know, I don't, I don't sell it out to it. I want to go out there and check out the details. Always check out the details. If you cannot check out the details for yourself, probably having an opinion on it is not something you should have. Because if you do, you're going to open yourself up to this kind of hate. And this kind of hate can ruin people. Don't let it ruin your life as a believer. It should have no part in you. It ruined their lives. Then there are many other nations that involve themselves with this as well. And you can probably think of more examples as you begin to, to meditate on this. But let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are here to help us through, navigate through this world. The enemy has put roadblocks, stumbling blocks in our path. He's going to try and get us to bite, to go after things that we shouldn't go after. Because once he has us hooked, he can pull us into stuff that we have no business being in. He can put us into bondage and we desire freedom. Father, this type of hate is very easy to spot. And if we spot it in our life, we need to weed it out. Even though the people that put it into us are going to be very upset with us, may even sever all ties with us. But that can't matter to us. The most important relationship we have is the relationship we have with you. And we can't let anything get in the way of that. So I thank you that you'll help us for spotting this in our life if it's already there, for spotting this when people try and pull us in and pass this on to us, that we will be resistant to it. Because as Edom was judged, we don't want to be following in the path of judgment, but following in the path of blessing. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.